The last time the Sacramento Kings selected a player out of Duke, it didn't go so well. But could this time be different? Duke might have three lottery picks in this year's draft. One expected to go top three in Paulo Banchero. But what happens if Paulo falls to the Kings at four? Do they have to take him? No questions asked. Is it even realistic to consider Paulo falling to four? It seems like he's the most likely out of the top three to answer some of these questions and give us background on both Banchero and AJ Griffin. I'm going to be joined by Steve Wiseman. He is a beat writer covering Duke basketball right here on the Locked on Kings podcast. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season and all off season. If you're looking for in-depth analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts, full coverage of your Sacramento Kings from January through December, this is the place for you, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. They have you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm looking forward to covering my ninth season of Kings basketball beginning this fall. Uh, this is year five for me hosting the Locked on Kings podcast. I currently work for ABC 10 News in Sacramento. Paulo Banchero is someone who I've seen go as high as one, drop as low as three. And it seems like even though he's part of the consensus top three, if there was a scenario where one of those top three slid, it seems like Paulo Banchero is the most likely one out of him, Jabari Smith Jr. Uh, and Chet Holmgren. Even if he slides to four, I think the Kings either have to take him or they have to basically call a team like the Detroit Pistons, call the Indiana Pacers, call everybody else in the league and say, hey, he's not making it past four. We're going to select him unless you make us an offer that we can't refuse. So I'm not saying that I would not heavily consider taking Benchero. And in fact, if I was forced to take a player or if I was forced to make a decision on picking a player, if trades were off the table, as much as I like Keegan Murray, I think I would have to take Paulo Benchero there just because of upside and him falling to the Kings at four. That being said, I have significant questions about whether or not Banchero will work long-term, especially with DeMontis Sabonis. They're two very similar pair, uh, players. Very similar in the sense that both good interior scorers. Sabonis is an all-around better passer than Banchero is, but not necessarily known for their three-point shooting. Banchero was a rounded-up 34% uh, three-point shooter at Duke. This his only season uh, in college, coming in as a true freshman. Uh, and there's questions about what he can do defensively. I just don't like the fit nearly as much as I like Keegan Murray's fit. That being said, his ceiling, his upside is considered to be not necessarily significantly higher, but definitely higher than Keegan Murray. So. I'm not saying that I would say no to Paulo Banchero and I wouldn't be happy if he fell to the Kings. I think the Kings would end up just selecting him and, and probably smiling all the way uh, into training camp and the rest of the offseason. But I do have questions and concerns about how long uh, or, or, or how he would fit with the Sacramento Kings long term. That being said, it's the whole fit versus best player available or best talent available argument. 
at that point, it's pretty obvious that it's a best talent available play, and the Kings would probably happily try and figure out that issue of his fit a little bit later on down the road. And that doesn't mean that he can't develop into a better shooter, a better defender. Here to give us an idea of what he does need to work on, his development going forward, who he was uh, at Duke, and the type of NBA player he could potentially be, plus the likelihood of him even falling to the Kings in the first place. I'm going to be joined by a, uh, a Duke beat writer here. This is the third college beat writer that I've had on Locked on Kings over the last uh, week or so. Had a, a, a Purdue beat writer on to talk about Jaden Ivey. Had a Iowa beat writer on to talk about Keegan Murray. Now Steven, uh, or Steve is going to join me here to talk about both uh, Banchero. And I think you're going to be interested in some of the things that he has to say about AJ Griffin. I think that would have been a pick that the or a player that the Kings would have had their eye on in a major way had they stayed at seven or in that seven range. I don't think he's even on the Kings board or, or that high up on the Kings board. I don't think there's any chance of the Kings taking him at four, but it's still good to learn uh, about him as well. It's all on today's episode of Locked on Kings. We've talked about Jaden Ivey. We've talked about Keegan Murray. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Paulo Banchero is one of the most likely consensus top three that maybe won't be available for the Sacramento Kings at four. However, Suddenly, there are whispers, there are conversations, there are rumors that if anybody was to slide out of that top three, Paulo Banchero is the most likely candidate. Is that correct? Should that even be considered? And here to give us even more background on Banchero, in addition to A.J. Griffin, who we're also going to talk about, who might be out of the Kings range out of right, as of right now, but is a player that theoretically would fit in nicely in Sacramento. I'm joined by Steve Wiseman. Uh, he is a Duke beat writer for a, a, a collection of McClatchy uh, newspapers, including uh, the Raleigh News and Observer. Steve, welcome into Locked on Kings, my friend. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I'm really looking forward to picking your brain about these two guys, especially Paulo. And I know a lot of Kings fans here listening to Locked on Kings have been waiting a long time for this conversation. Yeah, Matt, it's great to be with you. Um, yeah, I covered uh, Duke all this last season, saw every game those guys played. So at the college level anyway. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, Paulo's a, a heck of a talent and I'm glad to discuss uh, all, all he could possibly be for the Kings if it works out for them. So depending upon who you talk to, I've seen Paulo all over this top three. I've seen, oh, absolute lock for Orlando. We did a, a, a mock draft not too long ago, and our, our the host of the Locked on Magic podcast took Paulo without hesitation. Uh, I've seen Chet go number one. I've seen Jabari go number one, and Paulo go as low as, as two or three. Now suddenly there's the idea of, well... The Kings in this fourth spot, you could consider it a power position in the sense that after those three, the Kings kind of dictate where the draft goes from there. But also the Kings might be in a position to where if one of those three falls, if Paulo does fall, they're almost forced to take him at that spot. Based off of what you've seen of Paulo's game, consensus top three, I, I think he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. The idea of him sliding though, and more likely to slide compared to those other two, do you think that's accurate, fair, or a little absurd? Well, I mean, th there's a chance because I think a guy like Chet Holmgren uh, is kind of a, a gamble pick a little bit, right? He's he's not as NBA ready as, as Paulo. Paulo's offensive game right now is ready for the NBA. He showed it last year at Duke. Um, but but Chet, you know, is kind of a he's a different type of player, right? So he's got a really high ceiling. Like if he if he hits, I mean, he's he's got the perimeter skills. He's got he can block shots inside. He play anywhere. Uh, and so he could be, you know, a tremendous, you know, top of the line player, but he could also be a little bit of a bust, right? He's kind of skinny. I mean, thinking like that. So, um, it, it could be that Orlando, uh, you know, just says, Hey, we want to take a shot at 
at what could be a higher ceiling than maybe Paulo could be because Paulo has some 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 setbacks on defense. Maybe he's not he's not as ready defensively as he is offensively for the NBA right now. And again, he's only 18 years old, so there's time to improve that. But if we're going to pick things apart and look for a chance, you know what these guys might be thinking, a chance he might fall. That's where I think it might be is that, uh, okay, well, you know, we may get a higher ceiling with with Jabari or with uh, with Chet Holmgren and Paulo kind of we know where he's going to be. So um, that 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 could lead him to fall to the Kings, possibly. And that's funny is that sometimes people and I've talked a lot about this with Keegan Murray, too. A lot of people think what you when you know someone or what they're going to be or most likely their ability to translate to the NBA sometimes that's viewed almost as safe or in a negative connotation right because it's like yeah. okay well we know what their ceiling is versus this guy's ceiling could be anything but in a, in a team like Sacramento's position and the Kings have floundered more than their or floundered more than their fair share of drafts I honestly think having a player like that that you pretty much know what they're going to be and can plug them in and expect immediate impact right away I think that's a, a benefit so in Paulo's situation let's say that this maybe for some dream hypothetical scenario plays out where maybe the Rockets take Jaden Ivey or something. All of a sudden, Paulo is there for the Kings at four. What do you think about Paulo's ability to be an immediate impact player in Sacramento? Because in reality, the Kings have two years to get DeMontis Sabonis to re-sign and convince him to re-sign. They have basically a play- playoff mandate this year. They're looking for players that Paulo doesn't necessarily have to come in and be a day one starter, but a- an immediate winning impact player. Do you think Paulo is that even as a rookie? I, I think he can be because uh, I just saw the way he had the way he adjusted to college basketball so immediately and so in such a strong fashion this year. Again, particularly on the offensive end, he's not a bad defensive player. I don't want to think I don't want to get that point across there. He's not bad. He's just not. He's better on offense than he is on defense right now, which is always the case with a lot of these players, right? But he's six ten, two fifty, so he's got an NBA body, and he can he he's you know he can handle the ball. He can you know, get a rebound and go. Court coast to coast score that way. Uh, he's a pretty good passer. He was it was surprising me how, how how well he passed the ball for somebody of his size and his shooting ability. And and you know a lot of times those guys come out of AAU or they come in as these top recruits and you know they're all about you know getting the ball and scoring themselves right. But uh, he surprised me how well he was able to pass and kind of play in an offense that way. And then um, you know he he's got a, he's got a strong mid range game which. That's a, an inefficient shot in today's NBA, um, and and a lot of times they don't want him shooting that. But he he is he does have that that kind of range that fifteen to eighteen foot jumper. Um, he uh, he's able to shoot. If you saw the Gonzaga game they played in in Las Vegas back in November, in the first half of that game he was you know hitting pop uh, step up three pointers, step back three pointers, or transition three pointers. NBA shots. Those are NBA shots, and he was drilling them. That's why Duke beat Gonzaga that game back in November. So when he played really well, uh, and he should kind of show that all throughout the season. So I think um, I think that that's why people can look at that and say that's a marketable skill that'll be there from day one when he gets to the NBA, and he'll help somebody immediately that way. The shooting, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a concern, and I'm going to dive into a little bit more about questions about his fit with Sacramento and the ever never-ending debate between drafting best player available or drafting for fit. Uh, but 
Paulo, you mentioned he had games where he had great three-point shooting numbers, but overall around a 33, rounded up 34% three-point shooter, not terrible, averaged just over one attempt per game, or rather three attempts per game, made about one of them per game. Again, not terrible, but the Kings are looking for someone at the position, theoretically, that Paulo would play on their roster, who is able to space the floor and open up the game for both De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, who's now here. How, how, how do you see Paulo's development as an NBA shooter going? Do you think he like this low to mid thirties is, is probably where he's going to be for his career. There is room for improvement. And I think that he's capable of doing that. I think uh, again, he had games where he shot really well from three and others that he didn't. And um, it kind of reminds me uh, not to get Kings fans hopes up too much of it works out, but Jason Tatum wasn't a great three point shooter at Duke. I covered mm-hmm. his whole season when he played here at Duke a few years ago. And I wondered, okay, how's that going to translate to the NBA? Well, I think it's worked out pretty well, right? <laughs> he's, a, he's a really good shooter. He's gotten better, and it took him a little bit of time. He wasn't a great shooter as a rookie in the NBA, but as time went on, he grew into it and, and, and became a better shooter that way. And I just think Paulo has the frame, and the, and he has the strength and the, and the, and the, uh, the dexterity and all that to, to, to be able to learn the athleticism. I think there's, there's a good chance he'll end up being a, a much better three-point shooter than he showed at Duke. Defense is another big question, and the Kings have been atrocious defensively for 16 years, so it's not like they're expecting a rookie to come in and change that, although maybe they put too many expectations on Davion Mitchell last season uh, to try and do that. But uh, Paulo also not necessarily known for his defense, and there's questions about how he and DeMontis Sabonis could work together defensively. Um, But a lot of, I mean, the cliche is defense doesn't take as much skill. A lot of defense is... um, the, the desire to want to play defense, the, the work weight rate, the hustle, the energy, the intensity. If Paula was asked to do that at the NBA level, do you think he'd deliver on that? Or is he amongst the crop of, I'd say, more modern NBA players that tends to focus more on the offensive end of his game? Yeah, I mean, offense is the main thing for him. There's no doubt about it. And one thing about Duke's team this year is they had Mark Williams back there, you know, 7-2, 7-9 wingspan. Like, he was the rim protector. And so it didn't take a lot of you know other guys out front. They could take chances on defense. No one Mark was back there to protect the rim. So uh, maybe that made, you know, Paulo not look as, as strong defensively as he needed to be. I will say on that front though, he became a better rebounder on the defensive end as the season went on. And that, that plays into defense here too, right? To be able to, to complete the def- defensive possession by getting the rebound. A lot of times when Mark Williams would come out for the block shot, they'd give up offensive rebounds behind him. And they kind of asked Paulo and said, Hey, your job is just, just to kind of backfill there. And so they got better as the year went on because Paulo became a better defensive rebounder. They were able to finish off possession. So I think that'll carry over into the NBA for sure. Uh, so that's something good that you can count on there. Uh, but again, he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to get better at, you know, on ball defending, uh, defending guys on the perimeter. Cause he is 6'10, 250, but, um, People are going to, in the NBA, you're going to get spread out and drug out there on the perimeter. You're not going to stand under the basket all day. So that is an area where he needs to work on. How confident would you be if he got minutes at the five spot? Because the Sacramento Kings have not shied away from playing small, at least in the past. How, do, how well do you think he could handle minutes at that position at the NBA level? He did some of that at Duke. Uh, there were times this year where they went with um, what they called their ball handling lineup, which was Paulo at the five mm. when Mark Williams was out. Uh, and and he did okay there. Uh, not great. I mean, because uh, he's not a true center. But uh, again, um, at the NBA level, that might be a little tougher for him because you're going to be facing 
better players than he did even at college, but, uh, but he has experience doing it. I guess that's what I want to say here. He was asked to do it by the coaching staff and for, for short periods of time when they wanted that lineup in there, it, it seemed to work out. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, once again, on defense, there's work to be done there, but uh, I think he, he has the willingness and the, the aptitude to be able to, to, to work into different things like that. Today's episode of the Lockdown Kings podcast brought to you by one of our newer sponsors here, but one of my favorite sponsors already. I'm talking about Sakara, a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Sakara gives you the tools that you need to transform your life with their organic ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. Their nutritionally designed chef-crafted be- breakfasts, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and even get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door ready to eat. Sakara's functional plant-rich wellness essentials help you create a body that you love living in and you just feel good in in general. From their best-selling metabolism super powder to the foundation, which is their daily supplement packs, Sakara's products are designed to support your wellness goals anytime anywhere. Right now, Sakara is offering a great deal for Long Time Kings listeners. You can get 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash locked on 20 to get 20% off your first order. I alluded to it earlier, but the the fit versus best player available debate, there are uh, people in Sacramento just screaming from the rooftops, always take best player available and figure it out later. And drafting for fit has gotten the Kings in trouble in the past, including drafting Marvin Bagley out of Duke for fit instead of Luka Doncic. Uh, sorry to press that button, Kings fans, every, <laughs> every time I get the opportunity to do so. But... In this situation, I, I mean, the last two drafts, we've seen Monty McNair take back-to-back guards. He believed they were the best players available at the time. And with Tyrese Halliburton, he was absolutely right, even though De'Aaron Fox is still on this roster. With Paulo, you get contractual control over him. There is a chance that he outlasts DeMontis Sabonis in Sacramento, maybe. Or there's a chance that Paulo could come onto the scene pretty quickly and 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 raise his value enough for maybe the Kings to, to turn him around into some other great pieces like they did with Halliburton getting Sabonis. Do you think in that case, even if they have to figure out the fit a little bit and maybe the short term, it it might be a little bit of a struggle for a new head coach, Mike Brown. Do you think it's a win-win scenario in that case, if the Kings were to be lucky enough to get Paulo at four? I I think it can be because I think he's, again, we talked about it earlier. He's able to come in and make an impact right away with his offense. And um, and then that there's there's room for growth there with a three point shooting uh, that could be even better. Right. Jason Tatum, again, not to make that direct comparison, but again, he's a top five NBA player now, I think. And and Paulo can grow into that, uh, especially on offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they could they could bring him in, you know, get him in the rotation, see what he can do and then decide, hey, he's a, he's somebody we want to keep because, again, he's going to be he's going to make an impact early on in, in his first couple of years. Uh, where are some other players we might talk about? Um, you know, you mentioned AJ Griffin. I think he's somebody that is going to have to grow into NBA play. Mm. Uh, he won't—he's a pretty good shooter, but he won't be a great impact player his first year. Paulo can be that, and so he can show the league that he is a valuable piece to any team, and that that might make him a good trade ship. Or Sacramento may decide to keep him and be kind of build around that that core group they're they're building there. Last couple of questions I have about Paulo before we get to AJ. Um, one of them being 
Is there anything about his game that you think will surprise people? It doesn't have to be positive. It can also be a negative things that, that he really has to focus on and work on maybe in training camp or in his rookie year to, to kickstart that NBA development or parts of his game that we focus on this offense. We focus on, on certain aspects that everybody points out about his game, but you watching him every day, you've noticed other elements that people don't talk about enough. Yeah. There were times this year when he didn't shoot when he needed to shoot. Mm. Like he was almost too willing to, to give the ball up in situations. And, and Duke's coaches had to say, no, we want the ball in your hands at this point in the game. And you're supposed to shoot it. You know, hmm. you, you take the lead on that. So um, that's why he didn't average more points than he did. And he had a few games where he was down in the low teens, and even one game in single digits, which you wouldn't expect that to happen for a guy of his, of his talent. Uh, but it was because he was, you know, rebounding the ball more or passing the ball more or whatever, or being a decoy. And uh, he thought, well, the team's going to win this way. It's fine. When, which is a great attitude, right? When nobody wants to argue with somebody being a team player, obviously. But, but I think, you know, at times it did hurt Duke that he and the coaches agreed that, you know, he needed to be more, uh, more alpha dog. Like, okay, I want the ball. I'm going to take it and score. And we saw that when they got to March and he became a more consistent, you know, uh, around 20 points a game scorer. When, the, when they made that run in the NCAA tournament, he became a better player. And maybe it was because it was getting near the end of, the, of his season. They felt more comfortable and it was time to just, just turn it on and go. And if he does that all the time, he'll really do something to the NBA. What do you think Paulo's ceiling is? Like we're talking best case scenario here. You know, um, I've seen some comparisons to Blake Griffin, uh, that type of player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he can, uh, he could be, you know, again, he could be a, a, uh, an all-star player, not, not year one, but uh, somebody that a team wants to, wants to build around. I think he's got that. He's got that kind of skills again for somebody of his size to have the ability to pass and shoot uh, and, and everything and rebound very well. Uh, that's what he could be. He could be, you know, a franchise type player, which is what you want when you're making a top five pick. Mm. I've toyed with the idea of if, Paulo were to slide to the Kings at four, the Kings using those five minutes of time that they have on the clock and, and basically putting a notice out to other general managers and saying, look, he's not getting past us at four. If you want him, you have to come and get him, make us your best offer. Uh, and, and I've even talked with the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast about this very scenario and, and a potential for the Kings and Pistons to swap picks Pistons move up to take uh, Paulo and, and the Kings end up getting assets from Detroit or maybe even Indiana at six. I'm curious your thoughts on Paulo's fit with a team like Detroit who has their point guard solidified in Cade Cunningham, but needs a whole lot more. And you could even say similar things about the Indiana Pacers who have Tyrese Halliburton there. Now miles Turner's another good centerpiece, uh, but, but he Paulo could be a, a big contributor to that young team right there. What do you think about his fit in the, those two programs. Yeah, no, that those would be good, good uh, things that the Kings to look at. If it, if it got to that point, if it looks like they're going to be able to get him and they can flip him for, for other assets and he would fit well with both those teams. Um, that'll make for an interesting draft night. If, if we have that happen, if they, if he decide if it looks like he's going to fall out of the top three, that'll, that'll set off a lot of things going on. A lot of chain reaction, wouldn't it? But yeah. No, he would fit with those guys because like, because I think he's going to score. I, even if he doesn't start, you know, in year one as a rookie, he can be an impact player off the bench with his scoring ability. I don't know how much you paid attention to Keegan Murray. He's one of my favorite prospects potentially for the Kings in this draft. He's an excellent fit prospect for the Kings in the draft. I would be okay with the Kings taking him at four, but for some Kings fans, it's a little too high. What makes Paulo 
better than Keegan Murray or different from Keegan Murray in a lot of ways from your understanding? I just think his, his all around ability with the ball um, again, the ability to take the ball and go, go full court, you know, coast to coast and, 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 and you know, run the fast break mm-hmm. at some, at his size. I mean, I was surprised when I first laid eyes on him, when he got to campus and saw him play in, in, in exhibitions and things like that, that at 16 and two fifty, you know uh, you don't expect somebody to have that kind of agility and that kind of athleticism. And uh, so I think that that sets him apart uh, in what you're looking for. Today's episode of Locked on Kings also brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs happening right now, Major League Baseball scores, fights, even next season's NFL futures available right now on Bet Online. They're your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. And you can even have fun with your Kings knowledge, making some money this offseason with who the Kings are going to draft uh, and when the NBA futures come out, you can bet on, you can decide to go big and try and cash in on the Kings as NBA champions and really make some money. If you hit on that, or you can uh, have fun with their over under win total bets around the time that the schedules are released, whatever you play, head to the website today, use your mobile device, learn more about the trends and the action at bet online where the game starts. All right, let's talk about AJ Griffin a little bit. You uh, said earlier that you think AJ has more work that he needs to do to translate his game to the NBA level compared to Paulo. I think that's reflected in in where he's listed in that seven, eight, nine range in most uh, mock drafts. Uh, but what about AJ Griffin's game specifically? Do you think translates well to the NBA or is going to make him potentially stand out at the NBA level? Well, unlike Paulo, AJ is an NBA three-point shooter right now. Mm -hmm. He was the best shooter on Duke's team this year, and it wasn't even close. Um, You know, he can come in and do that. And, you know, you talk about guys that are three and D players, right? Well, he's got the three part down. Now, the D needs some work. So it's a small D, not a big D right now. But that's mostly because uh, he's had injury history here. He missed, he had knee injuries and an ankle injury as junior and senior years of high school. So he hardly played. He played like 12 games the last two years of high school. This year coming into Duke, he sprained his knee in October in practice. So that kind of uh, set him back a little bit. He was ready for the start of the season, but he wasn't really able to play much. That's why he didn't move into the starting lineup until, um, you know, January, mid-January. And then they couldn't get him out of the lineup because he was, you know, such a good shooter. So um, that's where, like, it's just the playing time. Think about the last three years. He hasn't, he's been, you know, setbacks a little bit there. So he just needs to grow. He's only 18. Um, so again, it's going to take some time, but he can come in right now and, and, and shoot three pointers with anybody. Well, not with anybody, not Steph Curry, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. He, he's ready to shoot and, and ready to score at that level. And uh, you know, six, seven, two twenty. he's kind of, he's got a, he's got a good NBA body. His dad's an NBA assistant coach. So he, you know, he knows the game really well. And, uh, but that, that's what I think. That's why he's kind of where he is. He's got a little bit of work to do as far as his physicality. The Kings are starving for shooting right now. They're also starving for wings and that's nothing new. They've, they've been light at that position for a while. Harrison Barnes holding it down right now, but he's in the last year of his contract. So I could see why AJ would be appealing potentially for Sacramento, not as high as four. I don't think, um, what is the highest that you think AJ theoretically could go? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, seven might be as high as it goes because okay. of those, because of those uh, uh, detractors, you know, he's got in there. Uh, but again, you know, that shooting will play and it can keep him in the league for a long time, but you don't want to, you don't want to spend a top five pick on somebody with this question, question marks like that. So, you know, I'm thinking late, late, 
late part of the top 10, probably where he go, but I, I don't see him falling out of the lottery because of, of that scoring ability. The shooting guard position is more common that two spot where you'd see guys that just shoot the ball lights out and don't really focus too much defensively. As soon as you step up to the, the height that he's at, that six, six wing position, suddenly you need to have a little bit of defense to your game with the size that you're going to be facing and speed. You're going to be facing on the other end of the floor uh, at the NBA level. You mentioned it was like a three and lowercase D right now yeah. for AJ. What's he need to do to get it to a capital D and how long do you expect that process to take? I think it's just like he would get lost sometimes on defense in Dukes. They did a lot of switching in every position. And sometimes he'd get lost on a switch and his guy would score that way or whatever. So I think it's more, it's not, I mean, obviously he needed to get uh, in better shape because he was hurt uh, and all that, but just the more, the more he plays, the more he'll get used to the moving and stuff like that. I mean, I think it was easier for him just to turn it on on offense and use his natural skills. But uh, the lack of playing time on defense, I think, kind of set him back. So he's got some work to do there. But, uh, you know, he, he's got the aptitude, again, because it's, his family's, you know, very you know, basketball-centric. So I don't think it'll take forever for that to happen. But it's just not there right now. Last thing I have for you, uh, focusing on AJ's future, where he could possibly go, is ceiling, like – solid NBA starter. Does it get any further than that? Like NBA three point champion on all-star weekend. Is that what we're talking about ceiling for AJ or do you think he could surprise some people? Yeah. You know, three point shooting champions of possibilities. Time goes on. Yeah, definitely. He's he'll be running for that from day one. Um, You know, I think he's more of a, uh, he's not, he's not going to be a star player. I don't see him being like an all-star player. Okay. But I think him, I see him being a contributor, heavy contributor, maybe a sixth man off the bench. That type of thing, bringing some scoring that way. Um, you know, I don't, again, we've talked about Jason Tatum a lot. I don't see him being that type of player that comes out of Duke, but, uh, but he can have, he can have a really good career a long time. JJ Redick, you know, came out of Duke and was the all time, all time leading scorer in program history. You know, and he was never like a great, great player, right? But he was a solid NBA player for a long time. And I think AJ has got that potential. I lied. I have one more thing for you. What, what's his, overall like shot IQ and his movement off the ball. How would you rate that as a skill set of his? Yeah. Now the shot off the ball a little bit um, uh, is again, in that place where he needs work because of lack of playing time over the last few years. I think, um, you know, when he gets the ball, uh, you know, he can hit it, but again, he's somebody that we mentioned like Paulo earlier, AJ would disappear for times in games. He, if you look at his scoring list for every game, he wasn't a consistent double-figure scorer. Even once he moved in the starting lineup, he'd have a few games where he wouldn't, he wouldn't shoot as well or he wouldn't get as many shots. Uh, so again, it's kind of about, about finding his place, and uh, that'll just come with time and experience. Well, Steve, Duke's no uh, no stranger to having multiple players in the draft lottery. They might even have three this year, depending upon how high Mark Williams goes. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on Locked on Kings, shedding some light on these two guys. Maybe Paulo will slide to the Kings, and we'll see what they decide to do at that position. Uh, before I let you go, too, you, uh, you also host a podcast, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that. Yeah, at the um, uh, the newsobserver.com website, uh, we McClatchy, we have a, we have a web. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, uh, podcast <laughs> called um, ACC Now. It's the ACC Now podcast. Uh, I'm a, I'm a host along with uh, the other beat writers 
uh, on our staff. We have CL Brown that covers Carolina. We have Jonas Pope who covers NC State. Luke DeCock is our uh, columnist, who's kind of the overall ACC uh, uh, reporter. So, um, yeah, we all kind of take turns on that podcast. And, uh, yeah, we, we uh, do it once a week in the offseason and twice a week during the, the basketball college basketball season. So people want to check that out at newsobserver.com. I'd appreciate it. One of the best conferences in all of college basketball. Hopefully the Kings are in a position next year where they're not caring too much about who's in the draft and who they could pick up, uh, but you never know here in Sacramento. So if you have any interest in the ACC, make sure you check that out. Steve, again, thank you so much, my friend. I hope to be able to chat with you again soon. If the Kings end up taking one of these two guys, we might just have to do this again and, and, and really project what they can do in Kings Purple. That's great, man. I enjoy doing that. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate Steve taking the time out of his busy schedule to join me here on Locked on Kings. Check out the great podcast that he does as well. Uh, I look forward to hopefully being able to talk to him more. That means that probably Paulo Banchero fell to the Kings at four. If that were to happen, would you like to see the Kings shop that pick and try and pull off a major trade? Would you like to see the Kings just take him, no questions asked, and figure it out later? What would you do? How would you react if Paulo Banchero fell to the Kings at four? Do they have to take him? Probably the answer is yes at that point. But let you let me know what you think at Matt George Sack on Twitter. Email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Really appreciate the support. We had one of our best weeks ever, maybe even our best week ever numbers-wise last year with all the podcasts, all the content that I'm trying to put out there for you. Really appreciate the love that you've been showing for the amount of content coming out. I'm trying to make sure that you're on top of everything here during this draft season, get you all the information possible. I'm working on more beat writers for more potential uh, candidates or more potential, uh, prospects that could be available that the Kings might be interested in at that four spot. I can even talk about the possibility of the Kings, uh, moving up in the draft. If you'd like, even though I'm not the biggest fan of that idea, I can go into that detail a little bit more later coming up on my next locked on Kings podcast. I'm going to be joined by Aaron Torres from Fox sports, had him on last year around this time, more of a national draft perspective. We're going to talk about a bunch of different prospects and the Kings being in that four spot with him have more great guests coming later on this week as well that I really think you are going to enjoy. So I hope you stick it around. And if you aren't aware, I'm doing a uh, Kings opening night ticket giveaway, but we have to reach 350 reviews on Apple Podcasts right now. We're just shy of 320 or around that 320 mark. So get a 30 and some odd more uh, and I will be giving away a pair of Kings opening night tickets to a locked on Kings listener. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. Hopefully you can help me reach that goal. Go on Apple podcast, create an account. If you haven't already uh, hit five stars and there's a little box for you to leave a, a blurb about what you like about the podcast, why you'd encourage others to listen to the podcast really would appreciate you doing that and helping us get to that 350 number. Thank you so much for supporting today's episode. Can't wait to have you join me on tomorrow's episode. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to locked on Kings part of the locked on podcast network.